Welcome to the On The Way podcast, a podcast exploring the deeper mysteries of life, faith and meaning. My name is Dom Fay, and one of our regulars is sitting in with us today. Uh, Peter Katz back on the podcast. Thanks for your time, Peter. Thanks, Dom. Great to be here. And uh, we're very, uh, very excited to welcome a special guest onto the podcast with one of the more interesting CVs out there. Um, a few interesting job descriptions mm-hmm. uh, described as a uh, priest and a comedian. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Bedding joins the podcast. Thanks for your time, Chris. It's it's great to be with you, and I can sense your excitement. Mm. It's kind of oozing out of your pores <laughs> right now. It's exciting. Yeah. It, it, like, it, is, it is a bizarre... I mean, just to address that straight mm-hmm. off the fact... Uh, off the, the bat, it is a bizarre, um, I guess, juxtaposition for some people to see priest and comedian. They're not often two things you see go together. Have you have you met surprise when you share that with people? Uh, yes, and uh, probably the surprise comes more from comedians and people who enjoy comedy yes. than from religious people because religious people know how funny religion is because mm. they're involved in it. And, they're, and, and if you stop to think for a moment, you go, oh, this thing I'm involved in is really quite absurd. So they see the, the link immediately, but... People are often shocked uh, in the kind of comedy world. They're like, I'm sorry, you do what exactly? Yes. Yep. The first time, uh, the first gig I ever did, a raw comedy heat, and I did a stand-up set um, about being a priest um, and like being a priest at parties, you know, that feeling, what do you do? And you know, I'm a priest and they know, know really, um, <laughs> what do you do? And, um, and the MC uh, w- was utterly unconvinced like he's like you're this is a put on you're making this up um and so we came off stage and he's like no who are you really i'm like no i really really am a priest (laughs) Um, and 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 he said which diocese are you in and i was like oh he knows things he knows some of the lingo that guy was wurzel uh who with Uh whom i created uh pirate church yeah, wow. and that was the first time we ever met was him grilling me about whether I was really a priest. Well that's a, that's a great fantastic. origin story. Oh it's awesome. <laughs> well look today's podcast I guess the scope we have today is to discuss God and humour, mm-hmm. faith and comedy. Um, some might think they are strange bedfellows but they do they do occupy the same space very often and um, obviously Chris this is where you've spent a lot of your time um, so mm. this is where we'll delve into it. Just as a, a bit of a starting point um, wh- what which interest developed first for you, comedy or faith? Well, I uh, was a very tedious teenager. I think that's important to point out. And <laughs> I think it gives hope to tedious teenagers <laughs> for a start. And I think also it gives uh, it, it, it gives the light. Like I was not a class clown at school uh, and I was, I was diligent and I, I was a chorister. Uh, and um, I think I certainly did, you know, enjoy laughter, but I was not, you would not have picked like 16-year-old Chris Bedding. You weren't going, ah, that guy, he's funny. That was not what, what was happening. Uh, I went to theological college when I was 18 years old, and that was not funny at all. Wow. Um, that was like, that was the very definition of insanity. Um, and so I did the whole getting up at 7.30 a.m., putting on a cassette, going to morning prayer. I went to Morpeth, uh, which, um, you know, is a classic classic old school kind of was a classic old school kind of seminary and I think what happened with me was that I uh, and I was ordained priest at 23 which is too young don't do it um have some fun first although I've had a lot of fun since um and so uh, yeah I think the the kind of absurdity of ministry uh gave rise to a sense of of uh of comedy of a sense that like oh if I'm going to last in this uh, and if if I'm going to be honest about um, Christianity in the 21st century, we've got to do some laughter in, in there. And, mm. you know, that's kind of where it, I, I, I think 
being a person of faith and then being uh, in ordained ministry gave rise to the life of comedy. Not the other, certainly not the other way around. They are. It's not that they're incompatible, but they are rarely seen together. Um, faith and and comedy. Um, I suppose in some circles, comedy is seen as almost the the epitome of secular culture, the epitome mm. of the critique of anything that people find meaningful. Yeah. Um, and religion is is. I mean. Jesus, probably more religious jokes than there are any other sort of joke out there. Oh, look! Every comedian has their bit on religion, mm. uh, and they and it's usually a very um, one-sided, one-dimensional view of religion. And it's usually uh, because it's such an easy target. I mean, we do the most. Re- Ridiculous things, the dress-ups, the stupid things we say, mm. Hillsong, right? All of those things are inherently like ridiculous, and so it's very, very easy. It's easy comedy making mm. fun of religion, and um, and very rarely do you get someone who comes from a perspective where they say, "Actually, I am a person of faith," and uh, uh, the, and and so uh, like a, a nuanced, mm. uh, a nuanced bit of material. My friend Laura Davis, who's a very fine comedian, uh, and she's just gone to the UK to forward her career she she talks about how um she there was a group that met at lunchtime at at her school called jesus and me jam and um if you went you got lollies and if you didn't go you didn't get lollies so of course she went uh to get lollies and um and the 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 utter absurdity she i won't but she does an amazing bit google her but uh she uh, she talks about how there was this ethical conundrum presented about um, if you're on a desert island and, and would you have sex with someone if you could get on a boat and get off the island? And she was like, well, yes. Wouldn't any person do that? They're like, no, no, you should not do that. You should be eaten by a shark instead. And, she's like, and, and you can well understand um, how when people get that kind of simplistic uh, and and unsophisticated version of Christianity, is it any wonder then that they, they it turns into material for them? Mm. Um, although I like to think I have quite a nuanced and sophisticated version of Christianity myself, uh, don't we all? And um, <laughs> I still think it's very, very silly. Like the whole, isn't it? Mm. Like, of course it is. I was yes. at Evensong, Peter, yeah, on, yeah. on Sunday night, and I, and I very much enjoyed it, but it's very silly. Yes, it is. Of course it is. It's, yeah. it's, there's a deep humour, and I think I think that's because at, at the heart of God there is a well of laughter, and, mm. and, and we play up to that and we play into it, and... The sort of the high camp of the Anglican Church is actually quite comic, and in that way, we actually um, have the capacity to see the light-heartedness of God and see ourselves as being. You know, even song is, is really a bit of play as mm, well. It's, a, yeah. it's actually a bit of fun, and um, I think one of the things about Christianity, particularly, is it just got a bit too serious, and we don't even see the humour. We don't even see the humour in. What Jesus says, everything, yes. everything Jesus yeah. says is taken as if it's mm. really, really serious. And you know, I, I often think of Jesus, you know, Peter saying to Jesus, "And what will we have? You know, we've left everything to follow you." And and Jesus says, so "You've got to imagine, um, just to put it in context, you've got to imagine you've got these smelly Jewish guys hanging around who haven't done ever cent, right?" They're they're out of they're outside of everything, they're living hand to mouth, and and Peter says to Jesus, "What about us?" And Jesus says, "Mate, you'll be fine. You're going to have a throne. You're going to have a crown. You're going to have it." <laughs> and and I can imagine the rest of the disciples just rolling on the ground, screaming laughter at, at 
at Peter, who Jesus mm. has just taken the mickey out of. Mm. But we hear it as, oh, and then we sing about it. Yeah, so yeah. we're all going to have our golden crown, yes. you know. And uh, Whereas I think Jesus was actually taking the mickey out of Peter. Mm. Mm. And the, the conversation about the log in your eye, you can imagine him sort of picking up a log off the ground and saying, it's like this, and, and all the yeah, crowd's going, ah, See, this guy is a cracker. I always thought that about the um, camel eye of a needle. I, I thought that's that's a quite a well-structured joke. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like Jesus could yeah. do a tight five at a comedy club. Oh, yeah. totally cool. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely I, cool. I like the, the parable of the wealthy landowner where we associate that some we're so dumb we think the wealthy landowner is God because mm, yeah, obviously yeah. he's rich and male. So... <laughs> <laughs> you know, God, God, and and Jesus is taking uh, entirely satirizing this mm. figure um, who's exploiting his workers, and it's such a uh, to me, I don't know, it seems such a blatant kind of um, piss take, mm. and and yet we've turned it into mm. this whole thing about uh, about salvation and yeah. when when you when you decide to get saved, mm. um, when you decide to allow God to save you, then uh, and you're like. But I think there's this this perception when Jesus speaks that you almost imagine the you know the flowing robes, the hands together in prayer, yes. speaking in a solemn tone, hovering just a little <laughs> bit off the ground. A little bit off the ground. Yes, you, yes. you don't imagine Jesus, you know, with his feet up, maybe with a, a glass of wine yeah, in yeah. one hand, yeah. joking like any of us would. Yes. But, but I suppose that. Uh, you know, throughout human history, comedy and satire has been such a such a powerful way to make points, mm. to illuminate, mm. to to bring light to things that have been made ridiculous or have become ridiculous. It's absurd to think that Jesus, one of the best communicators, possibly the best communicator yeah. in human history, wouldn't use humour. Mm. It's an absurd thought, without That's, a doubt. Yeah. So, Peter, it is funny though because you being part of a you know high church cathedral type setting. You have to take part in a lot of rituals that to uh, somebody who just walked in off the street would seem absurd. They would mm. they would belong in the absurd. Absolutely. Almost all of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Don't, don't yeah. hold back, Dom. <laughs> oh, well, like, no, I just remember, you know, being in a, in a similar church with a friend once and uh, they were they found it hilarious how seriously everyone was taking everything mm. that even the the you know the passing of the peace was done with such a solemn sense of seriousness in this particular mm. church mm. that they were like have these guys actually stood back and looked at what's going yeah, on in here and yeah. can they laugh at themselves yeah and that's why Monty Python was such a gift to the church you mm. know, the 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 um the dress ups and uh, oh god you're so big and you know, prayers yeah. and and then of course um life of brian um and, and the the whole thing at one level is very ridiculous but it's the ridiculous nature of it that makes it so beautiful and special mm. um and transformative i think and i think in many places um there are people who get it and they in, they enjoy their worship in a way that is quite comic Mm. And um, I'm glad to say here that people, when you're preaching, people actually do get the the ridiculousness and the com the comedy that's actually essentially part of unpacking the gospel. And I think that's just, and it also means that we can sit lightly with ourselves, and we can see that we can be playful, and that God can be playful. And so I think that's actually part of the gift. Mm. I, I have a vivid memory of being in a youth group. And I was about grade eight or grade nine and we're sitting around in group prayer at the end of the night and it was very Pentecostal style prayer. And my friend who was sitting next to me, we'd been probably 20 minutes into this prayer, you know, a lot of, um, God, we want to see you move in this place, this yeah, sort of language. Just Father, Lord. Oh, Lord. Yes, yep. Just. And, um, and the yep. friend to the left of me 
quite loudly farted. <laughs> and naturally, I lost it with laughter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I got I got quite a serving from the, the youth yeah, leader that I'm night sure. for being disrespectful. You know, yes. we were in a holy moment of prayer mm-hmm. and I was like, but it was funny. Yeah, yeah. You can't tell me that's not funny. Yeah, Absolutely. Right. So is that okay is that is it okay to laugh in that situation? Well, well I, I think the thing is that um the the fart might have been more real than some of the language that people I'm not saying it was I wasn't there but sometimes the the, the moment of of authenticity is far more valuable than all of the pon- the poncy kind of nonsense that goes around it mm. uh, and I think particular of those moments I think we've all had one when uh, a member of the congregation collapses or faints or something goes wrong you know having a health incident in the middle of a service and the whole thing stops and you're like actually what we're doing here is important but not so important that we need to ignore this person Mm. who may well be having a heart attack and I think um, comedy and laughter can be the same if we are so caught up in our kind of religious activities that we cannot pause for a moment to laugh about about a fart mm, then yes. we need to really seriously can think uh, consider that the god that we believe in because i think god laughed at the fart yeah, right? i'm sure god laughed i think yeah. god thinks yeah. farts are hysterical in fact you can just imagine god going oh I, I, what can i do what can i do that's really i'm going to make the expulsion of gas really loud <laughs> comical you know what I mean yeah yeah. it's great writing it's great comedy it's writing yeah and then God's like and you know what I like that one so much I'm going to make it possible to do it out the top end as well <laughs> you know and and the the idea that and <clears throat> you've got to imagine you know God going looking at humans and going look I could make them all look the same mm. but wouldn't it be hilarious <laughs> if some of them just look ridiculous you know and then I'm going to make people who love the ones who look ridiculous you know I'm going to oh it's brilliant God, yeah, yeah good writer. Good yeah, writer. very good yeah. writer. Um, should get renewed for a second series. Oh, absolutely. Well, <laughs> I think that's the goal. Yeah, that's yeah. the goal. <laughs> um, it, 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 I guess comedy does have a few roles to play. Mm. One is just to uh, emphasise and, and allow enjoyment of playfulness and of authenticity. It does also have perhaps a more serious function, as you mentioned there, in cutting through what can be inauthentic, yeah. cutting through what can be... You know, that that's why sometimes comedy about religion is entirely deserved, because oh, yeah. it was the inability to laugh at ourselves that, that kind of mm. got us there. Um, Peter, what, what's where did, I guess, humour first come into your faith journey? Because I can imagine when you're studying to become ordained, they're not exactly, you know, handing out 101 funny religious jokes textbooks or anything like that mm. so when did you first discover this oh well i went to the same I, I only discovered this just now but i went to the same theological college that chris went to yeah right and um surviving in that sort of community humor is essential mm. so um we used to do our own um rituals um, we, we once very early on in the piece, we went to the Catholic Emporium, which was the, the Catholic bookshop in town, and we all bought a piece of Catholic kitsch, and the rules had to be that it had to be entirely made of plastic and it had to cost less than $2. And then we, um, we installed the, the uh, relics, as we called them, in each of our rooms in our studies. And we, so we had incense and holy water, and we also wore berettas and proper gear. And while we were there, we thought we'd just call into the principal's lodge. And um, fortunately, we had a very well-humoured uh, principal. <laughs> and we knocked on the door and said, 
and he walked, he opened the door and we said, we're here to sense your wife. And he said, do come in. And, we, <laughs> <laughs> and his wife was, uh, wife, dear Jan Garnsey, was sitting on the, on the lounge in the, in the principal's lodge and this bunch of theologues walked in, did a procession around her three times, blessed her with incense and then walked out. <laughs> and Principal George Garnsey, just as he was closing the door, said, thank you, do come again. <laughs> <laughs> And so we were. We found that humour was one of the things that brought us together as a community, sustained us. Um, when uh, Andrew and Fergie got married, um, George, who was a really deep monarchist, wanted to cancel our community dinner that night, and we said that no, we should still have the community dinner because all you'll be missing is the the five hours of commentary before the actual wedding. And so um, in, in response to that, I went dressed as the Queen to the community <laughs> mail and others went as, I said, I had uh, a female friend as, um, as uh, the Duke of Edinburgh and, and George was so, so good natured that at the end of the meal, he asked me if I'd like to say the concluding grace because after all, I was the head of the church. <laughs> and so that, you know, that use of humour allowed us to make fun of ourselves mm. and what we were doing and to build community. So it was a really beautiful experience of building community. And um, so it was an essential part of the formation process mm. uh, lots of lots of good times and fun that that allowed us to negotiate some of the theological differences because you know, you know it was it was really wonderful to see you know some of the evangelical students getting dressed up with us in all this high church stuff that they wouldn't dream of wearing in church mm. but enjoying the moment and enjoying the sort of the self-mocking ritual which actually also just helped us sit lightly on what we did but mm. appreciate it all the more deeply and so yeah as part of that I, I got a, a deeper and deeper appreciation of liturgy and its transformative power and humor is one of the things that points us um, to that transformative power I think. Well, th this was actually when I got into comedy in high school I did a school comedy competition called Class Clowns and mm. um, a friend and I I guess were somewhat the, the class clowns in the grade and I remember this was why I fell in love with comedy was because you could ask anyone what their favorite comedy show was or maybe their favorite comedian. And that was such, that felt to me like some of the most life giving conversations I had. And I, I remember once being at a, uh, this has been a Carl Barron. He's a mm -hmm. uh, Australian comedian. I was mm -hmm. just at the end of year 10. And I went to see a show of his and I looked around and I could see in the room that in this room were people who would hold all sorts of political opinions, mm. people who had all sorts of religious opinions, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, everything. And yet there was such a unifying sense that it was almost like laughter can bring people together more than mm. anything else can. You know, if you sit around and you debate what your thoughts are on any social issue or anything like that, you, you can separate yourself from people very quickly, but humour can mm. unite. Is, is that part of the appeal for you, Chris? Look, we say comedy is pain plus time. Mm. And um, you cannot create comedy without being a deeply wounded person you have to have been through darkness and and to me that's the kind of um the crossing point or the threshold between comedy and theology is uh you can anyone can learn to tell a joke right mm. uh, what's brown and sticky a stick 
right? Uh, and you can teach, like I teach my my nieces and nephews all of these terrible jokes, um, and their their father thanks me for it. And um, <laughs> the, and and that's one thing, like getting the the quick gag, but to create um, a comedy that's like a like a, a has a depth to it, you can only come from um, rejection or marginalization or mm. illness or um, crisis. Like that's where the great comedy comes from. And and I think the, the it's the same reality uh, around faith. If you if you came to faith because you grew up in a safe family and went to a safe church and your God is a very safe God, um, what happens the moment that the crisis um, uh, comes to you, uh, then everything falls apart. Uh, if that's the, the the fundamental foundation of your faith is that it's safe, um, then you're stuffed as, as far as I can tell. But if uh, if you come to faith through some kind of dark, uh, terrifying tunnel, which is a, a lot of us, I think, uh, and and you emerge through the other side like a resurrection experience, um, then it's it's I think it has staying power and it, it, and it, it embeds deeply and and is very hard to shake. And comedy, I think, is is exactly the same journey uh, that. Uh, I, I think the punters have no idea and there, there might be some punters listening going, really? I, di- I didn't know. Like you think of your favourite comedian and they just seem happy mm. and they seem so confident and they seem like they must have so many friends and they're so self-aware. I assure you they are none of those yes. things. Yeah. I know them. <laughs> they are not. Okay. And it's the same with priests. Like um, people think that every priest they met, they're like, oh, look at them up there. They're so holy. They're so spiritual. They're so grounded. They're so wise, and they I, I I know a lot of priests, <laughs> and they're not. They're, I'm not. Right. Mm. Um. Uh. It's it's the rawness of being human that makes the great priest and uh, the or the the great Christian is authentic and and real, as is the great comedian. There's almost like a a great similarity there that both the I suppose the person of of faith, the priest, and the comedian have both seen deeply through, into their mm. pain and found some sort of way to be vulnerable with it. And make sense of it, and mm. and do something something with it. Um, I do know what you mean that, that that was my perception as a as a kid that comedians were the happy people, <laughs> and and you discover well you discover that no they're the saddest no, they're yeah, the saddest no, and they are the saddest. That's why they need the comedy oh, in many regards. Have you ever spent time with clowns? Uh, oh, no, no. brace yourself. <laughs> oh, clowning. Yeah, the great clowns are the saddest people you've ever met. See, I, I had a moment because I did just out of high school some stand-up comedy for a few years, competitions and things like that. And then I had a moment of envisioning what that life would be. And I realized I'd be going around most nights of the year. I'd be traveling if I was yep. successful, mm-hmm. doing the same jokes most of the time to mm-hmm. a different audience and then going to the bar and the hotel room. And it struck me how lonely a life that was. Yeah. Which is why I went down the um, the radio path of doing something with uh, in a team. But mm. it is so interesting to me, I guess, the fact that um, that comedy comedy comes from uh, a deep need, a deep need for light, a mm. deep need. It's almost the same need for faith, the same need for meaning. It's that longing within a person for mm. for the joy and the beauty and the awe of life, and they're trying to find it in some way. 
It's also something about intimacy. Even if you're in front of a crowd of 2,000 people, what you're trying to build a, a closeness with those people. It's the only way you're going to get them to laugh is, mm. is if they identify with you. And uh, sometimes the comedian is seeking that intimacy through comedy because they can't get it anywhere else. Um, and sometimes the audience member is doing the same thing. Uh, they, they, they're actually craving a, a deep, close relationship. And they love uh, hearing about the life of another person and their their inner thoughts and their fears and all of that. And, and to have that moment in a dark room uh, where it's very, very safe. I mean, the, the, if, even if the comedian does crowd work, you're probably pretty safe. Uh, and and you can just for a moment feel like it's just me and this person. And it's a really beautiful thing. There's a reason people fixate on comedians. It's, it's almost like falling in love, you know, for, for an hour, it, you can be in love. You can be on the best date you've ever been on. You can have the, the best kind of quasi-sexual interaction that you've ever had with another person and walk away from it. And um, uh, I think it speaks perhaps to a, a, a deficit in our culture as well. Um, that we we kind of we create these or need to create these situations. I think we've got worse at laughing together in our local communities. We kind of go we outsource it. Mm. Um, we go looking for other places to find it. Richard Raw often says that he prays for one great humiliation every day just to keep his ego in check. So, you know, maybe he's walking along and the, the car drives past and splashes in with the puddle and you have that initial moment of rage and then you just laugh and you think, oh, that's yeah. right, I'm not that important. That, uh, it, comedy can be very grounding like that. Peter, do you, do you have a similar, I guess, philosophy in terms of how that, that plays a role in keeping you in check? Oh, I think that I think that's the... I think um, I think um, comedians should be listed alongside the poets, in that they help us look at reality from a different angle, and they help us to appreciate things that we don't normally recognise or um, appreciate. And so I think I think that's that's part of the skill set. I think and mm. and that capacity, as Chris was saying, to describe their lives in a way that. You know, some of the stuff you hear in comedy shows is really quite tragic, but mm. because of the way it's presented, it becomes um, a form of dark humour and and a transformative form, and it and it does mean that other people um, are allowed to escape this culture, which is so demanding and and so perfection based, and about being the best of everything. You know, um, Michael Lunig, the other. They um, said that we didn't need to be award-winning um, resters. You know, we we just you don't have to be award-winning at everything. And the comedian allows us to recognise our fragility without that being it, it being done in a ponderous way. Um, you know, because we can we can sort of create a deep sense of melancholy by talking about our dark bits, but the comedian allows us to just say it's ridiculous and. And move on, and and I think there's also sort of a cathartic process. That it's a liberation. It's mm. people setting. It, I'm sure laughter is healing, and I'm you know, the sort of immunological uh, evidence that people who laugh have better mm. immune systems. So I, I think that's all part of you know, dealing with it, dealing with our darkness and and being set free. I suppose if um, if this whole thing is about relationship and connection, mm. I mean, anyone can anecdotally just point to 
their happiest, most joyful moments of relationship and connection being around a shared joke, an inside mm. joke with friends. Mm. You know, that night that, that, I don't know, some person spilt food on themselves and had to go out afterwards. And, you mm. know, everyone has these stories, their dinner party stories mm. that are the fondest memories they just about have. Mm. And yet all of that joy and richness of laughter it just seems to have been stripped from, mm. <laughs> from you know, the exploration yeah. of faith and meaning. Mm. Yeah. Um, and that, that does seem a real tragedy. Look, I, I was really interested to listen to Peter's description of his time at college because I can assure you mine was nothing like that. <laughs> the po-faced, reactionary, um, uh, th- this constant sense of being scrutinised, um, uh, combative. You know, that the culture shifted quite a lot over the generations. Peter and I are just a few years apart. And the the, the mood, and I think it's even worse now. The impression I get is that it's even worse and much and str- Stressful, and um, and very much driven by a sense of um, of of conformity and compliance are the primary uh, kind of um, the qualities that we're looking for in people who are who are training for ministry, and that's across all denominations. Um, and 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 the fact that we've lost our capacity to laugh as a church, perhaps, and the fact that we take ourselves so seriously, I wonder where that takes us. I, mm-hmm. I wonder. I wonder. And some of that. It's because of the horrific things that, that have been exposed recently, and 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 I understand that. Um, but I also worry uh, about a church that um, is going to get to a point where all all we can do is kind of close down storytelling rather than opening up the possibilities. Uh, and I, I think about my own parish where I think we laugh a lot, um, mainly at me, if we're <laughs> honest. Um, and, and where we where there's all this good-natured kind of uh, poking fun at one another. Um, and where I, th- I look at the way um, we're, we're a parish that practices godly play, and um, I look at the way that the kind of light-heartedness that of, of play that I see in the kids, and, and I wonder if if in time it, it, all of that will be will feel so risky, you know that, and we're a risk-averse organisation, so that we'll try to we just try to clamp down on it. There is, a, I'm, I'm sure you've both probably seen it, um, a video that's gone uh, around on the internet for a few years now of, uh, you know, the evangelical pastors blessing yes. people and they fall down. And I think someone's put uh, like uh, visual effects of like electric bolts coming <laughs> from their hands that knock the people down. And, you know, in a similar way, I know that mm. um, the the person I do a radio show with, Zach, he, he was noticing that I was a big Richard Raw fan and a big fan of contemplative prayer. And he noticed that the, the Center for Action and Contemplation on their Facebook page once a month does a live video of them having a quiet sit for 20 minutes. And, um, and Zach, Zach couldn't help but find that hilarious. He said, it's very funny that they turn the live video on and they just sit there silently for 20 minutes. <laughs> it's very funny. And my initial response was, that's special to me. Don't laugh at that. Yeah, yeah. But then I realized that's when I, I guess you let something become an idol, when it can't be laughed at. When yes, you can't absolutely. see the, the, the humor in it, you've really idolized mm. it and stripped it of its life. Mm. It reminds me, there used to be a webcast. This is probably going back more than 10 years, a webcast of... Um, of the the ombre in a church where the blessed sacrament was reserved <laughs> so you could go online at any at any time and just check up that Jesus was still, still there, there. And, yeah. just, and I knew people because I know a lot of weird people <laughs> who would go to the webcast and just leave it on kind of in the background because now and then someone would walk across the line of vision <laughs> or go and open the ombre to get um, you know the reserved sacrament out and that, that was the highlight like. of their day and, and you know, that is just the most adorable adorably naff thing in the world <laughs> but the fact that they knew it was funny mm. thank you 
please yes, be as you. pious as you like, but know how funny it is. Yeah, and I think there is this might be something worth discussing. Is discussing is people do feel uh, on edge, bad when humor enters what is seen to be a sacred space. Mm. It feels like a disrespect of a sacred space, and it, it can be, I suppose. But mm. um, you know, the, the closest example I have of that was another high school memory when we were doing an Anzac Day service, and the mm. the principal of the school. Um, clearly mixing the metaphors said we think of the soldiers who died for our sins right because <laughs> it was at a christian school yeah. and naturally a lot of us found yeah. that quite funny and, and <laughs> laughed at that yes. and you know letters were sent home notices Brilliant. went out saying this was a sacred moment laughter was not acceptable in the anzac day service so is is there a space where you know we we should put on the strict faces and say no this this is sacred the laughter does not belong here or are all is is it all fair game I, I, I feel like everything can be laughed at, but not everything should be laughed at, laughed during. Right. So, for instance, look, there may be something comical about the celebration of the Eucharist, but I, I think the, the difference is um, if we can see that there is something humorous going on um, as we, we eat uh, bread and claim that it is somebody's flesh and we drink uh, wine and uh, and mm, blood tasty I mean there, there is there is a, co- a comedic edge to that but I think there's a difference between um, because this is an ego fundamentally is tied up in this if if you're going for the la- like if you're celebrating the mass and going for the laugh you've got yourself a big ego problem mm. um, people often say to me oh I must come to your church they all have that voice I must come <laughs> to your church it will be so funny there I'm like, oh, I hate to burst your bubble, actually. Not a lot of funnies at all happening um, other than the, you know, maybe uh, a small joke during the sermon if you're lucky. So, and 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 I think that, um, that, that to be, to see the world through a comedic prism doesn't mean actually making fun of everything because uh, there's got to be some depth. There's got to be some some value. Like, and... and, and you're constantly holding intention. Uh, it's like the the two natures of Christ: fully human, f- fully divine. What we do, for instance, at the Eucharist, is the the deepest, most profound thing, and we believe somehow that heaven and earth uh, meet in that mm. moment. And, and it's also like you know, I got a question: why I'm wearing bright purple polyester <laughs> at that moment? You know, for is it why does heaven and earth meet at the very point that I'm wearing the blingiest thing that any person has ever seen? And and that, you know that, how do you hold those things in constant tension? It, it's a both end, isn't it? It is a both end. Um, some parishioners in another place uh, of, of mine from another place went to church one morning, and Rowan Atkinson was <laughs> doing the second lesson, and they said they spent the whole time expecting that he would somehow go hallelujah or sort of, yeah. but he was actually. Uh, good Church of England layman mm. doing his part on the roster and he just read the lesson and sat down mm. and they said they learned so much from seeing a comedian just being normal yeah. that actually helped them appreciate how, where the place of humour fitted mm. and it doesn't mean that you see I think I think if something comedic happens like in that Anzac Day ceremony yeah, I think it was appropriate to laugh because a joke inadvertently was cracked mm. Um, that's different to going out of your way, as Chris said, you know, it's going sort of popping out from behind the host as you hold it up going, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> surprise. Um, uh. But, you know, 
often there's lots of humor that happens in church just because stuff happens mm. and acknowledging the funny moment is cool trying to create the funny moment is just lame and as chris said mm. it's just ego driven and so i think i think your principle was wrong to say that you shouldn't have done that because it happened mm. and it was a moment where you appreciated the the bizarre nature of what was said and, and in a sense they were uncovering the bizarre nature of you know and there's a bizarre nature to anzac day mm. there is and and that doesn't mean you go out of your way to make every anzac day funny but mm. there are there are disturbing elements of the way Anzac Day has become so solemnized that we actually forget some of the dreadfulness of it. Mm. And we forget the fact that the guys kept themselves sane on the mm. Anzac Cove by doing funny stuff. Mm. They actually they actually, they were larrikins. You know, mm. we talk about we talk you know, you hear pious talk at Anzac Day services about the larrikinism of the Anzacs. And at the same time, if something happens that evokes that larrikin um, spirit it gets suppressed so i think i think it is about how we uh should be open to humor but we don't have to make you know, mm. and and the same thing happens at funerals you know funerals can be really um you know funerals are obviously solemn events but people can't help but mm. talk about the funny things that grandpa did and people laugh Mm. And it's a beautiful use of humour in the midst of facing the darkest thing we face. Mm. And I think that's just makes it a far more authentic human experience. The The worst funerals are the ones where the eulogy just tells you about how much money the person made. Mm. Yeah. Whereas uncovering their humanity and the fact that he mm. did have this weird passion that everyone tolerated and everyone laughs because you know yeah that we there's a there's a laughter of recognition there so it's, that's humor being a gift yeah. there's a there's a segment we do on my radio show where my co-host goes through my google search history and we'll read out some amusing wow. things that i've googled and um and I, like, I i struggled a lot with that for a while because my ego was like no people are gonna think i'm stupid yeah. um but ultimately or perverse I, yeah. <laughs> well but but ultimately i found it uh quite a, a profound experience yes. because um i would regularly get messages from listeners from the show saying i thought i was the only person who asked that question <laughs> right and and this is i guess what comedy does is it's like mm. it's a it can be at its best this deep unifying thing of yes somebody else as well like when you strip away this presentation we're all putting forward to the world mm. oh they don't feel good enough either great we can share in this now yeah um it kind of strips it back to its core but obviously comedy can also it can build up and mm. it can tear down yeah um and I know, Chris, if you're anything like my experience with comedy, that is a very hard line to toe. Very much has, so. Has that yeah. been, have you, you know, caused some offence, stepped on toes? Have you struggled with that? I look back, um, I don't do stand-up these days. It's quite a few years since I've done like conventional stand-up in clubs. Um, but I used to do, I, I'm not a small man, and I used to do this whole bit about being a fatty. And um, it's easy laughs, like honestly. The, 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 and and, I, and I, frankly, I had some very fine material. And um, <laughs> if I do so, so myself. And, and then I suddenly realised, whoa, 
what am I doing here? Because it wasn't, um, although I, I would have said at the time it was self-deprecating, mm. it wasn't. I was exploiting my audience's fear and um, and revulsion at tubby people. Um, and like it was like I was betraying my own people um, just to get the laughs. And I think that that when I when I sort of came to terms with, with my own shadow, which was um, presenting itself on the comedy stage, um, I didn't stop straight away. Lord, I was good material. But... Uh, <laughs> Over time, <laughs> over time, I got some some better material, um, and and uh, and and I see that routinely. Um, and the, the the danger, like Pirate Church, is the is the show that um, it's been seven years now. We just had our seventh anniversary um, with Wurzel, and and we agonise because we both like we really really love Jesus, like almost so it's sick, and we we agonise going, is this gag, is this line, is this bit of poking fun, is is this because we're trying to demean the other, or is this because we um, we, we cherish uh, our faith so much that that we're prepared to build up? Uh, and and it's a very difficult line. One of our early pieces of sketch comedy um, was about Margaret and Joyce from the Ladies' Auxiliary, and um, they are vile women. I mean, they're just the most cruel, racist, bigoted creatures. Um, and uh, and also played by men, right? So you've got layer upon layer of uh, of comedy gold uh, <laughs> or deeply offensive material. And one of my colleagues um, who who sees the world through a strongly feminist prism um, delivered a pretty stinging rebuke um, about uh, the fact that we were kind of mocking these women's movements, which had been about the empowerment of women. Um, and, and look, we, we didn't necessarily change everything that we did about the, the sketch, but we had to kind of then continue the agonising. We do far more agonising than you might think about saying like what what you know if we if we actually believe uh, for instance that men and women are equal if we believe uh, or are opposed to racism like how how do we make comedy in a world where all of that stuff is such an easy target um, and remain true to our values um, not an easy uh, not no easy answers mm. yeah no it's it's it is a you know it is a really tricky thing because you never know your context you never know who's in the audience and I find you have to regularly question your motives. Am I doing this, you know, to feel better about myself or is this a shared moment? Um, I, I, you have spoken a little bit about Pirate Church. I'd yeah. love to really delve into that. Where did that come from? Where did that idea come from? And, and what is Pirate Church? Okay, so there's an episode of The Goodies where they uh, form a pirate radio station and it's underwater somewhere. I can't even remember at the end. Um, I forget. One character asks another, um, "What's next?" And they say, "A pirate church of England." <laughs> and this, uh, and so Wurzel, who's the other half of, of Pirate Church and, and an outstanding uh, comedian, he uh, this sat in his brain from his childhood. A pirate church. And so the pirate church did not begin with army hearties and rum and parrots and peg legs. It began from the idea of a pirate radio station. Uh, and and we um, when we met, he, he took me out for coffee and we had this sheepish conversation. It was a little bit like being asked on a date where, where we're sounding each other out because he wanted to share this idea that had been in his head with me but wanted didn't want me to, you know, be, you know, reject him and, and make him sad and cry in a corner. So... He he says, you know, this part, and I'm like, and I was like, wow. And the the thing evolved um, initially began uh, in much the same format that it's continued. A, a first half of uh, sketch and stand up comedy, 
and a second half that of a pirate liturgy. Um, and it's a, 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 a quite an orthodox Christian-esque liturgy set on board a mythical pirate ship in an alternative universe. Now, <laughs> right. this makes sense to you, right, as totally. I say it. Um, <laughs> and uh, we, yeah, we began um, just doing just dumb things. And I'm glad the early shows were poorly attended and cheap. So that was cool. <laughs> we, um but and and uh, but we the the from the very first show, uh, we set about um, creating this alternative universe. So that in terms of the the liturgical half of the show, we we had to create somehow a narrative, and we liken it to Narnia. So um, if you if if listeners are trying to work out like what what are they talking about, there there is a whole world. There's a universe in of piracy, and so there's the Armada who are the bad guys, and um, and the 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 captain who is who is gone but returning. He was nailed to a mast. Uh, there's the ghostly parrot um, who's a, a very enigmatic figure, uh, and the deep. Is is our kind of cipher for God? It's a very deeply trinitarian, um, and as I say, very orthodox. There's a log reading every time, and the log reading uh, is a some would say a parody. We like to think a tribute, an homage to a biblical text, uh, which is set in this universe. So we we again we agonise over how to kind of uh, transliterate. Um, a well-known scripture into the pirate universe, uh, and there's you know there's the drinking of rum. You obviously, I mean, how could you uh, have a pirate gathering without rum? And uh, and the singing of sea shanties. So uh, it's quite interesting. We ha- our audiences love one half or the other. You know, right. they, they they say, oh, we love all your sketches, and we don't really understand the churchy stuff. Uh, but church people love the pirate liturgy because it is both absurd and I think many people have said it was very poignant. Um, I remember. I remember some years ago, a, 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 a priest came to our Christmas show, uh, and um, we we do uh, for Christmas we do a kind of um, uh, nine sh- lessons and shanties or something like it's a, <laughs> um, and so it's it's a, a pirate version of the Christmas story, and uh, he he said, look, I have sung Silent Night and Hark the Herald Angels Sing and all this. Cr- all week I've been to so many stupid pointless Christmas things he said this was the first time I came to something that actually moved me it actually spoke to me I thought, wow, aren't we amazing? I said to myself. Um, <laughs> but but it, it, people, we, I, in defiance of logic, people come away, they tell us, come away feeling spiritually refreshed by what we do. And we're like, oh, we weren't trying to do that. Mm. Um, but if, that, if that's what it does for you, then I, I guess we'll keep on doing it for a little while. I think... Um one of the most profound uh, connecting moments I've had in my life was right after a church service when friends and I gathered and I made the decision we, to, to kind of air some grievances in a comedic way that I'd had mm. about how a few things that were happening in the church. Was it Festivus? <laughs> it wasn't quite. Okay. But, but uh, not, not a similar idea. You're okay. in a ballpark. Sure. And, but, but just some issues I had with, or some things that I thought were a bit ridiculous. And we, sh- they found them all so ridiculous. It mm. turned out, and we shared the best laughter around yeah. that. It was a McDonald's table. Brilliant. We shared the most laughter around that McDonald's table, and it felt as though, in some ways, that was church. You mm. know, that shared community, that shared sense of mm. of uh, of understanding was church. Um, and I suppose with pirate churches, are you? I know you're probably not setting out with any great ambition to, mm. to revolutionise the church, but are you? Is your aim to try to help? bring a, an, an air of uh, the absurd and authenticity maybe also into the religious uh, quest? 
I think for both of us, we come we're heavily influenced by liberation theology. So we're both um, trying to view uh, our faith through the prism of the oppressed. And uh, part of what comes out in pirate church is that these pirates are not um, the rich, the powerful. These are marginalized people. These are an oppressed people living under the sway of the Armada um, who, who steal their booty and, uh, and, and sink their ships. You know, these are people who are really, really struggling. Uh, and and it, for, I think for us um, as, as comedians and people of faith, our sense is that Christianity has been hijacked by, uh, by, the, by wealth and by power and by status and hierarchy. And anything that breaks that down um, is good. And particularly by going into a pub... Uh, and into the comedy room, which is a different kind of sacred venue, mm. uh, and and it, it becomes like we charge a fee to get in. Doesn't seem to put people off, although just quietly, often people just sneak in anyway. But um, we, if if we set out to create a, a mystical spiritual moment in the back room of a pub, then then I think we would completely fail. But because we set out to create comedy that's quite raw, it's a bit aggressive, um, it's very masculine, if I do say so myself, as probably the least masculine person in the room right now. Um, but it's also and there's and we swear and we are uh, and we shout and there's a there's a hard edge. It's dark, like the kind of comedy we do. And be- because we just set out to create comedy that we think or we hope is real. Somehow, out of that, people uh, come away with a, a spiritual kind of insight or something, mm. um, and I and and I feel like it's a bit like that with the church as well. If you set out to create a church which is terribly kind of deep and spiritual, and and you know, just try to create moments where people can totally like touch the divine or whatever. If you set out to do that, then all you're going to get is is people play acting. Um, but if you set out just to be real people with one another, then you may just find that people discover God in the process. It's much harder to parody that second one, though. Yeah. Much harder. Less so fun. Much harder. Less techniques you can use. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, know. <laughs> I, I want to ask um, Peter about uh, something you told me, which is one of the funniest things I think I've heard, um, particularly from a clergy person, probably in general from, from any, uh, anybody, about faith. Um, and I'm not sure you'll be okay with me sharing the story, so we might have to edit this bit out. If you're hearing this, it's been cleared by Peter afterwards. <laughs> Brilliant, and professional standards. Yeah, it's, it's made its way through. But you, you spoke about, um, about a, and I'm not sure if you'll remember this, but about a conversation you're having with somebody who believed in a very judgmental, um, wrathful God oh, who yeah. was going to come and judge, <laughs> and the response you gave to them about if you saw that God coming over the hills. Are you happy to share that yeah, story? Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, this, yeah, yeah, this, yeah. this is what I think the, the comedy to illustrate a point yeah, can be. Yeah, that's right. This guy was being very earnest about sort of the apocalyptic God, and I was trying to put forward the idea that God might actually be gentle and loving and actually want us to flourish. And it got to the point where I just really had enough of the conversation and, and figuring well, this is not going to go anywhere. And I said, look, mate, if this, if your God comes rampaging over the Great Dividing Range, um, yeah. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to do the bird. I'm going to just give him the finger. I'm going to go, <laughs> like this. Nice. <laughs> and um, he went into ab- absolute um, 
panic yeah. <laughs> yeah. and said, you know, you can't, you really can't, you, God will destroy you. And I said, well, okay, that's, if, if that's God, I'm prepared to be destroyed. But I'll tell mm. you, mate, if God comes screaming over, mm. over the mountains, I'm just going to turn and give that God the finger. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought we had a similar moment when we did the episode on, um, on what is the Bible. And uh, we were talking and uh, just had a mental break. Who was our guest that day? Greg Jenks. Greg Jenks. And Greg Jenks, who was our guest speaking about the Bible, we were discussing, we spent about 10 minutes quite earnestly discussing how one part of the Bible was quite troublesome. We didn't quite know what to do with it. Mm. And he just beautifully said, but what if that part of the Bible's wrong? <laughs> and just the laughter we shared, it, it kind of can be such a, a yeah. liberating yeah. way of, of, oh, I don't have to have this facade up. This isn't, this isn't intimidating. This isn't scary. Mm. This is exciting. This is joyful. And there are some bits we don't know and we will never understand. And the best, perhaps the healthiest response is just to laugh at them. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say then, Chris, uh, you know, as people go about their faith journey from your experience, mm. what, what do you wish people could incorporate into their faith life? What do you wish, what liberating, I guess, view could humor give them in their faith life? I think um, there's two things. One is to recognize that um, the church uh, doesn't have a monopoly on God uh, and that if you're going look at when you're going looking for God um, by all means come and look inside the church and get involved I mean really lean into the madness um, is my advice um, really just get totally into the the, the, the activities that we do um, and because it is a form of, of play right enjoy it and then go looking for God in a completely unexpected place like a comedy room or go looking for God I mean everyone says a garden I mean <laughs> gardens are so boring but but maybe maybe go and look for God at Bunnings um, like that kind of you know uh, speaks to me or um, and cafe church is very in vogue but maybe go and look for God at like a service station mm. uh, if, if you know the, the, and the two I think always work in in, in, in uh, concert with one another if you just go looking for God with with icons and candles and incense um, then the the God you discover is is you're not going to get the the fullness of, of the experience but the day that you uh, that you find God you know in a public toilet not in a weird way but you know what I mean like when you when you suddenly realize that the presence of God is 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 there with that stench uh, and and the filth and the weirdos when you realize that God is as present there as as God is at the, at that mystery moment at the altar uh, that I think is um, is is the moment you, you start to realize that you're actually never going to fully understand God mm. but that um, uh, it's worth the journey it's worth trying it's a deeply holistic approach I guess it's oh, yeah it's everything involved would you have anything to add to that Peter or that sums it all up for you I think that I think that's exactly um, the game and it's about being fully human and the universe is pretty wacky. I, mean, I, I like to think that quantum physics shows that God's got a huge sense mm. of humour. I mean, the way the way strings dance with each other and 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 particles fly around and stuff is random. And I think I just think it's a I think it's just a one great big playground. And God wants us to get with the program, and that is to enjoy it and to be playful. And imagine. You know, imagine the transforming um, effect that it would have on workplaces and homes if people saw that the whole, at the heart of the universe, there was a playfulness mm. rather than an earnestness or a, or 
worse still, some sort of angry old guy up there who's got it in for you. I mean, mm. imagine imagine if we think of, of God as some um, delightful sort of dancing troupe who have had just a little bit too much to drink. You know? <laughs> Someone pointed out the other day, you know, the wedding in Cana, um, you know, Jesus and his mates arrive early and the wine runs out. So, you know, you know the question was, who drank it? Well, guess yeah. who, you know? So, <laughs> so you, know, it, you know, it's this sense of just partying. And, and one of the images of that the, the Old Testament prophets used of, of heaven was a, a big party where the wine was the best you could get and, and it was free, you know? Mm. And imagine, you know, imagine being invited to that party and just being let loose on it. And... So, you know, get playful. And humour is one of the ways in which you can discover the play in all sorts of places. One question I want to ask before we do move towards wrapping up, um, because this might this might come out of this conversation, people wondering where, I guess, the lines are. Yeah. And they might wonder, what is sacrilege then? You know, if if because um, that's a term that's often thrown yeah. around. I've been accused of it far too many times myself, mm-hmm. to be honest, mm-hmm. uh, especially at the... Christian radio station mm-hmm. I used to work at. Um, so, so in your mind, Peter, what is sacrilege? I think sacrilege is something that's driven by malice. So, mm. if someone if someone is out to destroy, and and that's to destroy a lot of things. I mean, I think sacri- I think sacrilegious behaviour is is the art is the act of seeking to destroy that which is good, and to destroy it, not to not to make you know. Parody and fun aren't necessary. Are, are probably not sacrilege. I think sacrilege, and I think I think we actually use that as a smokescreen by mm-hmm. by labelling people having fun in church as sacrilege. It covers up the genuine sacrilege, which is to keep children in cages on the roo and things like that. That is sacrilegious. Mm-hmm. That's blasphemy, mm-hmm. because they, these are you know these are these are people made in the image of God who we're treating like they're throwaway. Um, so I think I think sacrilege is is whenever someone destroys something that is good w- w- as an act of malice. Oh, that's a great definition. I love that. I, I don't think anyone has the right not to be offended. People uh, talk about being offended as if they are entitled to live a life free of offence. Um, and I always want to uh, say to people, look, if you're offended by something that I have said or done or, you know, for, or not me, if you're offended by something, that's, uh, that's your problem. It's your issue. Uh, and you need to work through that. Now, that doesn't mean you can't be angry. It doesn't mean I'm not wrong. But offence is your journey, your in, inner life, um, where that issue is. And then I always want to ask, like, if you're offended by, um, you know, me dropping the F-bomb, are you as offended by poverty or are you as offended by the displacement of First Nations people? Or are you as offended um, by the subjugation of women? Um, because if the only thing you find offensive is uh, swearing or making a joke, and you're not also offended by those other things, honestly, uh, get back to me. You know, mm. when when you've when you've had a good a good long think about those other things. Um, I was at a at a conference. You may have to edit this one out. I was, <laughs> I was at NCYC, the National Christian Youth Convention, and somebody asked this very question. What if someone, we're talking about arts and faith, and someone said, what if someone, what if people get offended by your art? Um, And I said, look, I I, I get pretty fucking offended by offshore processing. 
Um, but most people are probably more offended by the fact that I just swore than they are about that that issue. Mm. Um, I, I think we we need to, um, in, especially in this privileged culture that we inhabit, uh, and I think the boys from the Chaser um, have have summarised this so perfectly um, when when they say, "Look, you know, if if you're if the worst thing that you experienced today was a sketch on an ABC TV show, think about the amazing blessings that you." must have uh if that's the only thing you've had to go through so uh yeah sacrilege mm, yeah get back to me i love that there is a sense of recalibration that 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 inherent disgust you feel that someone might feel when they hear a swear word that's not that that is a that is a normal human response to things that are not good but you should probably be having that response to a fair few other things if you're gonna have it for a naughty word potentially um all right well we might we might just wrap up there unless anyone's got a funny story to end on it's not a good one to end on. I mean, it is a comedy podcast or a good... What's, here's a question I want to ask, Peter. What's the best religious joke you've ever heard? Any good ones come to mind? <laughs> Nothing? I wish I had a religious joke. You wish I had a religious joke? Yeah, <laughs> the Anglican <laughs> Communion? Is that, sorry, no, not fair. Not fair. <laughs> All right, we might wrap it up there. Uh, thank you so much, guys. It's been a very enjoyable conversation. Um, I know that uh, that humor has been a very liberating part of my faith journey i'm just near the end of watching father ted at the moment for the first time through i'd not seen it before and i think i'd heavily encourage people to watch things like that or monty python and um and bring humor into the faith journey because it's a it's a certainly a fruit to be enjoyed thank you so much chris and thank you so much peter Uh, thanks dom thanks dom and we'll be back with another episode of the on the way podcast shortly